Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1399, with guest Christos Matskas. Recorded Friday, December 16th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here for another hour of .NET-y goodness. Um, my friend, uh, it, the weather has turned frigid over yes. here and we're recording this almost a month ahead of time. Right. So it's before Christmas when we're recording this December 16th and it's freezing. Nice. Yeah. We've been below freezing, you know, which is unusual for this part of the world. I always joke, right? It's that, that don't worry. This is snow here. It snows up in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, yeah we've had a week of, of below freezing. And so even the bears are probably like, ah, screw it. I'm this out of is here. Great. Yeah, now they're they've all gone to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so enough. I want a coconut with an umbrella in it. Now I'm there's a visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Zach, your dog, is like you know the waiter. Well, he, you know he's getting to be an old dog now. He turns twelve in January, and, but he's a total goof in the snow. Well, we've got a great show lined up for you folks, um, but before that, I have an announcement of my own. Richard has been making some announcements. We've been announcing here in the Better yep. Know Framework section, so let's uh, do one more. Roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Okay, I want to talk about the, the ketogenic thing for a minute. No. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Dun, dun, for dun. those who have not been following my other podcast, Two Keto Dudes, it started as a commitment device for me to sort of stick to the ketogenic diet, lose some weight, and reverse my type 2 diabetes, all of which I've done. I've never felt better in my life. But Richard Morris and I started a Facebook group, a private group, and that group got last month uh, our 10,000th member. Wow. Yeah. That's in less than a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was it's crazy growth. But the problem is, if anybody's ever done a Facebook group, you know that after about 3,000 members, it starts to get really difficult to pay personal attention to everybody's posts. Right. Yeah. It's just a steady stream. Right. And you're always answering the same questions over and o yeah. over again. And I got to give credit to Kelly, my wife. She came up with the idea of, why don't you guys get off Facebook and get a forum? Nice. Where you can search for questions that have already been asked and then find the, you know, like Stack Overflow. Right. So, and I think it was you that recommended, well, you know, um, the Stack Overflow guys have got a, a, a version of that software that they sell. It's called Discourse. Well, that's, that's Jeff Atwood. 
Yeah, that's right. When Jeff Atwood left Stack Overflow, he said, I want to really, I want civilized discussions, right? That's what he was about. Right. And this is his new tool. I baited it way back when, but geez, you're up to version 1.6. So all grown up and everything. And I remember talking to Jeff last year about it. And he was telling me how, you know, it's very, very hard to do these online groups and keep the peace because... You know, you have trolls and you have spammers and you have people who are just rude. And so he came up with a way in this forum software to let to let it be self-policing. In other words, nice. you, you sort of gamify it. You get status the, the more the longer you go and the more you participate without issues, you sort of get raised in status levels and you're able to flag posts and moderate and all that stuff. So rather than you having to identify a moderator, the moderators effectively identify themselves. That's right. They rise up. That's really cool. That's very stack overflow, isn't it? Oh, (laughs) absolutely. So um, Morris and I have started not just a two keto dudes forum, but for all things ketogenic and, uh, we, you know, which is essentially the low carb revolution here. Ketogenicforums.com. Cool. Now we're time shifting here because it's December 16th of this recording. We're sort of opening it up on Christmas and then on New Year's, if all goes well, we would have announced this to the world. And our intent is to make it public. However, um, you can get the enough status to post anonymously. If you uh, are there for a certain amount of time. Uh, so the whole idea is that you can search answers and read answers. But if you want to participate, you need to register. Right. And then we have all the options of OAuth registration. Well, and then this show is publishing in the second week of January. So by then, everything should be up and running. There should be a flow. Like, all's good. Absolutely. Awesome, dude. So there you go. It's ketogenicforums.com. And as a matter of fact, discourse, D-I-S-C-O-U-R-S-E yep. is the software. It's great software. Speaking of announcements, let me throw one more in that I've been meaning to do for a while. And since we're doing such a serious Azure show, I should call out the global Azure bootcamp. Okay. So this is a, a, a community-led event all around the world. The event itself happens on April 22nd of 2017. It's, mm. like, it's the fifth time they've done it. And it's really communities helping communities actually get into Azure. So the workshops, tooling, like just get going on all this. I love and so it. This particular point, calling this out in January, the call out really is, are you a community leader who wants to run a boot camp as part of uh, your local community? Love it. So the site is global.azurebootcamp.net, and they are taking registrations right now for uh, more boot camp sites. They're at 100 sites. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's big. It's all over the world. So wow. really kind of a fun thing to have this kind of worldwide simulcast uh, boot camp event. So I, I recommend you take a good look at it, either to attend or to help organize events. That's right. So if you're if you're wanting to learn or teach about Azure and cloud computing, sign up. It's yep. it's easy and it's free. Global.azurebootcamp.net. Awesome. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a show 1362, the one we did with Bed Godwin. We were talking about serverless architecture, speaking of Azure and AWS and all those wonderful things, mm-hmm. uh, back in October 2016. And, uh, you know, very cool tech. And this comment comes from Jasper Siegsman, who says, interesting to hear about the absence of good deployment stories in AWS. That's exactly the part where Azure is doing quite a good job, although there's still room for improvement. Mm. And I don't know there's... It's not like AWS has no deployment story. It's that they're not opinionated. 
they kind of let you do whatever you want to do. And so yeah. there's, there's lots of people rolling different solutions for automated deployment. But isn't it interesting that we're kind of looking at now saying, no, no, I think I want you opinionated. Like, yeah. I want you to give me a path forward so I don't have to figure it out for myself. That's that's where I should go. Well, it seems more and more true, right? It's interesting. For a long time, we went, oh, I want all the choice in the world. Now we're like, no, I'd rather hear about the right way. The paradox of choice. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Jasper goes on to say, just like with other app services, you can easily link your functions app service instance with an instance or a GitHub repo and have it automatically pulled out a specific branch as soon as the code gets updated. Mm. But also like app services, there's the portal part of the setting up the app set settings and the fig strings this is where configuration as code becomes sort of vital i'm not sure about slots or whether those work for functions as well so functions might lack some stuff compared to aws which is not surprising for the respective age but i'm sure they'll catch up quickly it would be good to do a show with someone like that from the team i believe the api stuff has been discussed yeah that was vishwas lele actually yeah, that's right uh anyway cool show and also nice to have a comparison with other platforms like aws it's super challenging to keep track of everything that happens in azure oh yeah yep uh, let alone keep an eye on what the competition is doing so these types of comparisons are super useful from my perspective so thank you well thank you yeah. jasper you know we wouldn't be here without you that's and right. uh, yeah, it's it is a very challenging time to be in the cloud. There's a lot going on at once. You know, it's almost like if you don't get immersed in this, you're going to miss out on some great competitive advantages. Yeah, uh, it's just a trick of figuring out which pieces you need to know and and which to use out of all of the things they're doing at the same time. Hmm. I even feel like it, there's points where Microsoft's competing with itself within the Azure stack. Well, they are. I mean. You do have this whole idea in Microsoft as it being a lot of little companies. And yeah. sometimes the coordination between them gets lost in translation. I, I hope that happens less than it's happened in the past, that they're a little more organized. But it seemed uh, to be. It, it, I hope so. It's it's hard. I understand when you're that big of an organization. But Jasper, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug, it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin and he's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet because, you know, we got nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true <laughs> oh man uh okay let's introduce our esteemed guest today christos matskas is a developer husband dad and all-around geek uh, chris works for microsoft as a senior premier field engineer for modern apps in other words he helps developers make the best out of microsoft technologies on and off the cloud welcome christos nice to be here guys thanks for having me very good to talk to you again. We're tapping into my secret run as resource today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The premier field engineers are some of the smartest people in Microsoft. Wow. They're the, they're the folks that are out in the field helping companies be successful with product, but you never really hear about them because you need this premier license. Christos, we met you in Scotland, didn't we? Are you in Edinburgh or are you in Glasgow? I'm in Glasgow, but we also met at NDC London last year. Yeah. You there met you too many people to remember, to be honest, but yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. we met formally at uh, the Glasgow event, which was a nice success. You had lots of people there coming. It was awesome. That was such a fun trip. We have yeah. to do that again. That was a bit of a boondoggle. So you only <laughs> joined Microsoft recently. Uh, recently, it feels like uh, yesterday I joined back in March uh, in uh, very uh, 
odd circumstances where I was approached by Microsoft to join them just after I got my MVP title, and uh, <laughs> it was a dream come true. Yeah. Wow. You can't be an MVP and a Microsoft employee. It doesn't work that way. Well, by being a Microsoft employee, you're kind of, you know, you're, yeah. you are a most valued professional. It seems like it feels like that. Although I think I'm the shortest lived MVP in the UK with yeah. just less than two months of uh, service. <laughs> well, you got an honorable discharge, not a dishonorable one. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Yeah. Very correct. Interesting point. Yeah. So uh, we're talking Azure migration this hour, are we not? Everything. Everything you want to hear. We are Everything a Azure. very diverse bunch of um, engineers and our role as developers is even more diverse than every other uh, premier field role because we have premier field roles for everything from Intune to um, VPNs to servers and Azure, obviously, but we are there to help developers with uh, everything. And sometimes we don't even touch uh, Azure when it comes to speaking to our customers. Uh, quite big these days is migrations. Yeah, we have uh, a large number of customers that uh, Ever since the UK data centers were announced, they're, seeing, uh, they're presenting a lot more interest now into getting on the cloud. This is primarily old organizations or, or traditional organizations like banks, which yeah. were very reluctant in putting their data on the cloud. One issue, Chris, that comes up over and over again when we talk about Azure, and I know that's not the sum total of what you want to talk about today, but uh, is uh, companies and organizations who either can't by law or decide not to by policy um, move their data in particular to the cloud. And so Azure has some really good offerings in terms of hybrid solutions now. Are you seeing an uptick in the, you know, the rate of conversion into uh, hybrid from that group? Yes, and I think the, the story that uh, Microsoft offers there is uh, th that unique selling point of the hybrid cloud that you can, uh, that your data centers can coexist in multiple locations. You don't have to... Uh, lift and shift everything just because you're moving the cloud. And this is one of the conversations that we have with the customers, the, the fact that um, if you want to adopt cloud, you don't have to uh, go all out. You don't have to be 100% cloud. You can do a piecemeal approach. And the easiest way to get on board is by doing backups and um, site recovery stuff, which we'll speak about later on if you want to. But the idea is that you, you decouple yourself from physical media or anything else and can do all your backups online. So you mm. use the cloud for that and just for that. Or you can have a, an active uh, site recovery uh, station on the cloud. Yeah. And if something happens to your primary data center, we switch you automatically into the site recovery, which gives you business continuity and um, you don't lose any business while you're not really uh, fully 100% on the cloud. Now, when you have a, a hybrid solution with some of these new options that you guys have, I think one of them is an Azure appliance. And uh, mm -hmm. you can talk about that. But when you do that, how much real maintenance of that hardware do you have to do? I mean, if you're talking about the difference between running your own data centers and an appliance, I can pretty much guarantee that it's going to take less maintenance. But how much is less? Are you talking about the, the new Azure Stack that we're suggesting? Yeah, uh, for yeah yes. Azure Stack, yeah. There's been a bit of a conversation around that and uh, a, a few changes, to be honest, because TP1, which is currently the, the release for people to test, you can still test it on, on your local hardware without requiring any special hardware to get. However, the RTM, which has been announced that, that will be coming this year, uh, they require you to uh, use specialist hardware that uh, we have uh, 
support with. So Dell and um, HP, I don't know the exact companies, but the idea is that you buy their hardware in order to meet the SLAs because we wanted to give you the exact same experience in terms of SLAs and performance. And it was very hard to achieve that with the commodity hardware that every customer has in their data centers. However, I, I think that maybe a few iterations down the line, maybe um, uh, year two or year three, we'll try to go back into allowing customers to run the Azure stack on their own premise and, and on their hardware, because that was the biggest selling point for us going right. to customers and saying this. Yeah. So what about using a third-party hosting provider like Rackspace or something and using their hardware with your services at at a managed uh, location? Yeah. See, um, Cisco just uh, up, so, uh, up and closed down their one billion cloud service uh, operation they had. I don't huh. know if you read that. It was no. just announced yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So that's all done and dusted. I don't know where Rackspace is sitting right now with that. And I don't know, um, t- to be honest, uh, the, the larger picture for me is not really there because I'm not really involved in sales. I'm not really involved in these large-scale um, yeah. decisions with most of our customers. I did a show over on the Run As Radio side with Jeff Snover at Ignite. Uh, and we talked about Azure Stack. And, and he made the point that, yeah, you want to... Because Microsoft keeps it upgraded to the current Azure standard all the time. That's why you have to run this known set of hardware. I see. So they do the upgrades remotely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because that's the only way for it to be absolutely consistent. But it, and he, he also made the point. It's like he thinks relatively few customers directly would buy this stuff. It makes almost more sense in the Rackspace scenario. It's like mm-hmm. I want a third party right. but I, and I want this infrastructure uh, so I'll rent it from Rackspace, and Rackspace will is dealing with the Azure Stack side. I think you also see this in 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 uh, areas of tight uh, sovereignty control, I, and I would point it like Germany as an example of this, where it's not only you know even for Microsoft, the Microsoft data centers in Germany are owned by German entities because the German government basically mandates that if you want to be able to put German data on these servers. It has to be in Germany, run by German companies. Right. So sometimes it's the law, not your policy. Well, I don't think the law is that clear. I don't know. How often are you actually battling that issue, Christos, of people saying, I don't know that I'm allowed to run in the cloud? Quite frequently. And we have to go there with all the documentation and um, the security assurances that we have as as cloud providers. Uh, the the, The most common one is I don't want NSA to be you know, looking into my customers' data. Right. Uh, this this was especially hard sell for banks uh, yeah. because obviously you don't know where your data resides. It's so easy to switch on geo replication by mistake on your storage account or maybe your SQL server that suddenly you have no idea where your uh, data is um, being replicated to. So um, something that they need to be aware of that it can be easily done. But we give them as many assurances as we can around that, and we do say that. Uh, as Microsoft, we are committed to um, not sharing our customers' data with anyone. Let me ask this question then. How often when you present that information do you change people's minds? Well, we come there once or we go into customers once they've decided to uh, to use Azure. Right. We usually um, expose them to new services and new functionality that we do have in Azure as premier field engineers. There are cases that we go in and um, we have customers that use both clouds. They can be using uh, Google Cloud or AWS 
and Azure, and they, they try to see which one best fits. And um, when you present the security assurances and the, the data sovereignty of Azure or within Azure, then it, it does become a, an easier selling point. But um, you need to remember that they, they come to us or we go to the customers as premier field engineers once they, they have committed to. Yeah, um, I guess that that's a point. You're not a salesperson. Right. You're yeah. a technical resource. They're already sold by the time you're in the door. Yep. Yep. Yes, we, we, we go there for specific deliveries, uh, but we always identify opportunities for our customers. Sure. So I might be there to do a unit testing session or I might be there to do a, a .NET Core session, which is very popular these days. But we can also tell them that they can take advantage of other things like application insights. So right. they might not be using the cloud for anything, but suddenly they, they see the opportunity there to consolidate and manage all their applications from uh, within Azure. In fact, they can manage all their data centers from within Azure by using OMS, which is another offering. Mm -hmm. Again, you don't have any data on the cloud. You just use it as a platform to do different things. And the beauty of this role that I am is that I approach the customers and try to provide the right solution rather than trying to sell them stuff. That's right. awesome. Yeah, that's the best job anyway. <laughs> well, and he's like, all right, you, you see your data sovereignty this way. We're not going to change that. There's still places where the cloud can help you. Instrumentation, right. disaster recovery. Uh, what about testing? Everything. Yeah. Um, Dev Test Labs, very popular these days where, um, I don't know if you've uh, seen this offering from sure. Azure, but it allows you to create a very customized uh, environment that developers can only spin up a subset of the resources that we have on Azure. So you can be very tightly controlling the costing of these things, but still allowing developers to be flexible and do what they want with the cadence and the speed that you want on the cloud without um, spending a million by some developer running a script and spinning up a thousand VMs rather than 10 or one. That would never so, happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, never happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you ever have customers who want to, instead of using the cloud for backup, they want to have everything in the cloud, but have their backups locally, like backup their cloud stuff to a local server or cluster? It's uncommon, to be honest, because most of the customers will have a starting point in the in the data center, and they will say that I, I want to push certain services to the cloud. I want to test a, a subset of functionality while still retaining my data center. Uh, yeah. I, I was speaking to a customer yesterday that they do exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, so they still want some customers are physically paying for their physical service to be on-premises and they're happy with that model. But for the rest of the operations, they're migrating the cloud. We, we have a very um, custom hybrid model where customers can do whatever they want with cloud, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the and that's part of the challenge, right? There's so many choices here. You almost you get confused on where to start. Do you have a sense with the customers you're working with of what's the easy win? Like, what if what do folks like to start with? Disaster recovery is big. We actually migrated customers to the cloud overnight when their whole data center was ruined. Uh, a story uh, customer won't be named, but they had their own data center, which uh, um, there was a problem with the um, HVAC. So uh, the temperature went really high and then suddenly the fire alarm kicked off and the, the, the noise that was generated almost created an EMP, which wiped out every single hard disk without destroying the hardware. So the, the disks were still spinning, but there was no data. Oh, that my customer goodness. Went to, yeah, yeah, it was a big, big um, company. So we migrated them to the cloud overnight and took about two weeks to get them up and running with just basic services like email exchange, domain controllers. but. That was their move to migrate the cloud. Yeah. Well, suddenly, guess what? We're moving to the cloud right now. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, yeah. so sometimes the, the hard sell comes, uh, uh, and people realize that uh, they could have avoided that that, that whole thing uh, just by simply using the disaster recovery solutions we have. It's much less expensive than running running data centers. I mean, I've built that infrastructure for different companies. It's it's expensive and it's and it's hard to justify. Hey, we have a whole other data center that's just making copies of what's going on in our primary data center, just in case. Correct. So. Uh, site recovery services, uh, which is used right now for most of our customers that want that DR scenario. When you use that service, you only pay for storage. You don't pay for anything until you spin right. up those VMs. Right. So it's just storage sitting there, which is, there's no cost for the licenses. There's no cost for the, the compute. It's just data that we send from the data center onto the cloud. And yep. if need be, we can, we can test the, the DR. There's also a test functionality there, which allows you to test quickly what will happen. Or you can uh, flick the switch and say, I want to run on the cloud. Mm. So you could do updates like that. You could flick the switch, spin everything up on the cloud, upgrade your data center, and then switch uh, back to the data center. Interesting. Yeah, I like it. Use your your site recovery feature as the backup data center while you do upgrades on your primary. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. And uh, yeah, I mean... The, the the decreased expense, like especially for disaster recovery stuff, it's just it's hard to justify building symmetrical data centers with all that infrastructure that's not being used most of the time. When you just keep it at, at a storage level, so you're only paying for that that bandwidth and storage. Chris, do you have customers that uh, have a sort of a multi-cloud approach? In other words, there are some entities on Azure, there are some on AWS, maybe even some on Google Cloud. Uh, or even other cloud providers? Yeah, we do. Um, I think so, some uh, are obliged or legally they want to have that in terms of business continuity. Yeah. If, for whatever reason, Azure is down. Uh, yeah. They want to be able to use some of the other services on AWS or right. Google Cloud to be able to uh, have that business continuity. It's uh, For some of them, it feels like a, a, a very good solution. So disaster recovery within disaster recovery. Yeah. Almost like inception. And, you know, now that everything <laughs> is REST enabled and API based, it's very easy for even completely different cloud providers to interact with each other. Correct. Very yeah, cool. well, we do have that interoperability now. And uh, with things like Ceph and Puppet, we try to provide that common model. There yeah. are challenges, obviously, uh, working with uh, multiple cloud providers, uh, different sure. APIs, different uh, different functionality. You were mentioning earlier on the DevOps story, which does not uh, exist in some cloud providers or it's not consistent in whatever way. But we work with those customers to make the best out of it. And sometimes we help them even with their the other cloud providers because we want them to make the best out of the technologies that we have. And I know you mentioned it in passing, but the operations management suite, uh, I mean, while admittedly a very IT-oriented tool, the, the fact that it gives a common viewpoint over multiple clouds, it's it's almost creepy. Like, it just it, the power you have of sitting over this multi-data center view, it's really, it's really quite impressive. Yeah, and we have a large number of extensions as well now, so you can add a lot more things that you wouldn't get in the past. And we try to make it as um, fluid and uh, easy to use as possible. Uh, and for um, for non-technical people, we also provide a, a Power BI facade that will also allow uh, higher management to be able to overview what's happening on the cloud without really having to deal with the nitty-gritty uh, log details of uh, each service. 
Awesome sauce. Nice. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now. Uh, it must be that happy time again. You know, brother. It's time to unleash a little high-tech hybrid joke. <laughs> What's that? Well, you know, with a normal joke, I come up with it and I tell the joke, complete with the humor content embedded in the joke. Mm -hmm. You get it and you laugh. But with a hybrid joke, I tell everything but the funny part, which is stored in your brain, and you make up the punchline yourself. Whether or not you laugh... It's completely up to you. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm, a, I'm pretty sure all you tell is hybrid jokes. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I am Mr. Hybrid Joke. <laughs> uh, it's actually time to give away a Run As Radio coffee mug to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club uh, serendipitous yeah but first let me tell you run as radio is a weekly podcast for it professionals hosted by richard campbell for it professionals working with microsoft products each 30 minute episode covers a specific topic in the field of it from a microsoft centric viewpoint Richard, what's happening these days over on Run As Radio? Well, conveniently, we're on a Wednesday again, so a Run As was published today, and this Run As episode is with J.P. Bruzzies, who is a security guy, and so we're focused very much on the sort of contemporary, how we integrate security in depth. You know, this idea that there's no perimeter anymore. Yeah. You don't just build a firewall around your servers because some of your servers are in the cloud. Some of them are on premise. You've got machines in the field. So it's just a different way about thinking about the security model. You can't keep it all in your head. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And, and it's it's got to be an, a concept of an in-depth, you know, Ages ago, the last time, last time we talked to Paula Janowiski on Run As as well, she's like, look, I'm going to penetrate a machine. That's inevitable. Mm -hmm. It's what happens after that. Right. right. And, and that's where this security in depth model really comes is if your to total level security is simply this one layer, you're going to get broken down. Yeah. So, you know, what she was really digging into and JP goes there as well is this idea that your administrator passwords all being different matters that each administrator you have separate administrator accounts for given access rights so mm -hmm. that you don't have this super user that once you've got it, you could take over the world. Right. Anyway, it's it's yeah. uh it's a fun conversation, very challenging. It's a different dynamic when you're talking from the IT side of security than say a Troy Hunt talking more on the dev side. Yeah. Uh but still the same kind of problems. It's still like it seems insurmountable at times, but it's something to chip away at. Yep. Very good. So who's our winner? So today's winner, Richard, is Joel Weiss. Congratulations, Joel. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Joel. Joel just won a coveted Run As Radio coffee mug, and that's compliments of Richard Campbell and Run As Radio. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Chris, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? So many things I want to spend the money on. Uh, if I were to choose, probably the, the new Surface Studio that, Ooh, that was announced. Very there. shiny. Yeah, I will go the, the full blast, the i7, 30 gig of RAM at $4,199. 
so that will leave me 800 pounds to do some stuff other now what what do you like best about that surface studio oh it's 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 a piece of beauty um i don't know what i will use it for <laughs> oh, okay my wife would probably say that we don't have enough space in the house for another machine yeah but uh it's it's definitely a, an amazing machine to work with i've seen it uh, live and it's absolutely a beauty yes. it's almost a sculpture you know it's so mm. pretty I th- how, what, how did this happen? Yeah. Remember, you know, suddenly Microsoft's making the pretty computers? Right, I know. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, we're cool again. Huh? It's fun. And, you know, do you think you would get into art, art and drawing and that kind of stuff? Because it seems really, really good for that. Me? I'm awful. Um, yeah. My wife has banned me from even teaching colors to our kids because uh, <laughs> I'm so bad. <laughs> you wow. get all the color names wrong? Yeah, that's my house too. Yeah. You know, I used to do some oil painting when I was a kid. I took uh, lessons, art lessons for many years, actually, and did some good oils. And, uh, you know, stuff like that makes me think that I might want to take it up again. And, of course, I don't mean like with canvas and oil paints. I mean, you know, digitally. Oh, I thought you were talking about like 10W30, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just stuck my fist in the sump and smeared it all over my face. Uh-huh. Look, Daddy Art. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on <laughs> fake art. All right, well. Yep. So let's talk about some engineering, which is kind of what you do. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. What are some of the recent challenges that you've had to uh, take up that have been rewarding? Oh, every day is a challenge. Um, I had my one-to-one yesterday with my manager, and uh, he said, what do you like most about this job? I said, the daily challenge of um, going to a new delivery and trying to solve a different problem. Yeah. Every single customer has a, a totally different um, problem. Right. And as engineers, we're called there to find the best solution. And you know, there's not one right solution. So it's working out what's best for the customers. And mm-hmm. as such, everything is ad hoc. We don't have a, a set template that we go to our customers and say, this is how you do it. We have to understand what they want to do. So it's a, it's a bit of a consulting role where you go in and discuss with the customers what they're trying to achieve. Right. And sometimes you can say, you don't want to do that at all because there's something that already does it for you. Right. Or, or sometimes we say, well, yeah, in fact, there's nothing out there for you right now. So we can see how best to achieve that. I imagine it's like solving a puzzle. I mean, this is kind of what programming is in general, but your puzzle starts at a much higher level. Correct. We start by seeing the bigger picture um, and um, we try to understand where the code fits. And, and sometimes we don't even touch code. Uh, one of yeah. the things I missed about this is that we don't really code on a daily basis. We get to do a lot of uh, proof of concepts for our customers, yeah. but we don't really um, go into the customer to solve the problem for them. We try to educate them about how to solve their own problems, which uh, is a benefit for us as well. We don't have to go back a month after we deliver something and be asked about the bugs that we left behind or right. performance issues. Right. We show them where to find the right material to deliver their stuff. Right. Going from here, I would say one of the challenges we recently faced was a customer that had a multi-cloud uh, solution between AWS and Azure, hmm. and they were trying to automate their uh, deployments using Puppet. Now, yeah. Puppet is a, it's an excellent tool However, trying to use the exact same script across two different providers mm. is never going to work. So we had a lot of workarounds, a lot of hoops to jump. And in the end, we realized that there's not uh, one right way to do it. And we had to backtrack and use uh, ARM templates um, in a combination with Puppet on Azure to allow them to deploy their infrastructure yeah. and automate things and um, use Puppet along with some other scripts on AWS. 
So uh, the whole point of the exercise was to work with the customer to see how to do things because their knowledge on automation and deployment was thin on the Azure side and then see how the tools may or may not fit. Now, that was an exercise that lasted four months and eventually we had to backtrack by admitting that there are better tools out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, when the customer makes the decision, we, we made it clear very early on that um, some of the stuff that we're trying to do may not be doable. But um, we work with them rather than against them to convince them that uh, the right way to do certain things is to use the tooling available rather than trying to um, bend the tools to your uh, will. Yeah, that's an interesting problem, right? It's like you 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 think this is going to help you. You go down a certain part of the path. It's that, like that eighty percent case, and then you hit a point where it's like now I have to jump over these very hard hoops to get that last little bit done. And especially on the deployment side, like I want a hundred percent automation. I want to you hit a button all the way to deliverable, right? Like it, it's important. And if you can't get there, there's almost no point. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a challenge. Unfortunately, uh, um. When you work with, uh, as you know, even with multiple APIs within the same provider, you do come across these challenges. So it's helping our role there is to help the customer understand what they can and they can do within the context of their services and infrastructure. And this sort of calls back to the to the comment I read as well. We were talking about opinionated systems. Mm. So, and I get the sense that Azure is more opinionated about it. What do you see as the right way to deploy software into Azure? Software or infrastructure, because these are two different things. I, I guess suppose. that's a great point, uh, right? Uh, we have platform as a service, which allows you to focus primarily on your software and how and how you deploy that, rather than where and um, how things are going to be running. And then you have infrastructure as a service, which uh, uh, encompasses the whole thing: uh, VMs, uh, updates, patching, the whole thing, plus releasing your software on top of that. And some, in some cases, IaaS is the, the only right way to do things because of the dependencies that uh, some customers have with legacy yeah. right. software. And certainly it's the first thing. I mean, this is exactly what we did was lifting up a VM privately hosted and putting it up into the cloud so that you're, yeah. at least you're there and then starting to disassemble it into separate services. And that's usually the case, but we advise against lifting and shifting most of the time because if you have a big data center, then the cost on the cloud tends to be higher if you just do a lift and shift. There right. are clever ways to overcome that by uh, scaling up and scaling down uh, on set times, automating a lot of things, then and then working out exactly what you need to move into pass. So uh, one of the very popular things that we do in our, in my team and our service in general is the Azure Service Assessment uh, or Azure Solution Assessment, as one of my team members likes to call it. And the idea is that we go to customers that have already adopted the cloud and we do a full overview of everything they do on the cloud. What services they're using, single points of failure, uh, how they deal with DR and backup and continuity, how they deploy the software, what DevOps they use, uh, how's the source control, how they manage the secrets, the whole shebang, right? Mm-hmm, right? And then we come out of that with a full report of things that they might want to fix, things that they're doing really well and they might want to build on top of that, and things that they critically doing wrong and we need to fix them immediately because there might be a security thread or a security hole or performance issues that they might not have realized. And that's uh, a very useful uh, service that we offer because uh, it allows customers to have the conversation between the team because it's not just one person in these meetings. It's usually the security officer. It's usually the development team, the tech lead, the architecture, and sometimes even the product manager. And we have that conversation and we, we use that as a ground for them to 
discuss about things. Why they, do they do certain things and why are they trying to solve a problem in a specific way? And um, it allows them to, to have a conversation that most teams usually don't have at that level. Nice. Well, I could see rather than just shifting the VM up, you set up DR. Mm-hmm. So there's something does go wrong on prem. You've got, you can shift the VM up. And then now you're decomposing from the home s- systems into the cloud one service at a time, so to speak, or one website at a time. At a time. Yes, that's uh, one way to see it. However, sometimes customers want to go to the cloud for the scalability and elasticity. So even if they have to lift and shift, at, at least they can scale out or right. scale up, uh, which is not something that you can easily do within your own data center. So DR is one scenario. The other scenario is obviously we are seeing a massive workload in our uh, data center. We want to um, am- amend that or fix that by uh, moving to the cloud where we can spin up a lot more VMs, uh, deal with the workload, and then go back and see why we're having these performance issues, if there are any. But the, the ultimate goal is to move everyone to PaaS. My, that's my goal as a, as a developer because I love right. PaaS. Yeah. I love running as platform rather than uh, having that dependency on uh, VMs. Yeah, it's just that you can't run that same PaaS infrastructure on-prem really until you start looking at Azure Stack, which is kind of brand new. And Not really. I mean, um, if you are talking about websites, uh, we do support the, the, the same scenario. And there are ways... I mean, taking a, a classic ASNet MVC website and running it on platform as a service on web apps, uh, it's not really that complicated. Obviously, right. there are a few things and caveats, but uh, once you fix these, there's nothing stopping you from taking that same application and running it on-prem. So things like resilient connections to your databases and decoupling from a cache, which might be in memory and moving into Redis, these are all things that can be easily fixed without requiring a full rewrite and allows you to take the application anywhere from the cloud to on-prem and back. Yeah. Are containers a significant factor in the Azure cloud yet? It, I, mean, I know they're just sort of arriving now, but are you seeing any customer interest? Yeah, a massive one. Um, it's almost like a full cycle now where you have .NET Core, which can run anywhere, and then people realize they can run them on containers. And then we have uh, things like Service Fabric and Azure Container Services, which again offer you that flexibility on how you run your microservices. And you can, in fact, uh, take containers totally out of the picture if you move into Service Fabric, because that's another way to do microservices without really having problems with containers. I think I read sure. a very interesting article about a team that had massive challenges with uh, Docker containers. Recently. I don't know if you that came across. I was on my Twitter timeline, which made a very interesting case of every time that Docker updates things, the things would break in the team and they would go through that whole pain of trying to fix uh, problems. And uh, you start to see that maybe containers are not the ultimate solution and uh, maybe some like Service Fabric may fit better. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And it's interesting to see, you know, I don't know that there's any one right way here, right? Uh, on one hand, the granularity containers giving us points of scale and so forth and, and a symmetrical implementation all the way down to the the developer's machine so that you, you have this sort of configuration as code running end to end. Super compelling. But what if you didn't even care about the container? What if it was just service by service, right? This sort of, and it's the, you know, the, the comment I read was from the Ben Godwin show on serverless architectures. What if there were no servers? There were just services. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Service fabric functions these days, logic apps, they become a lot more uh, uh, focused because we do that kind of a microservice approach without even 
caring about the service anymore. You just say, I want to run an API endpoint that can be a faction or a logic app, and I want to be able to call it from my REST service. You don't care how that's called or implemented. And it's it's a beautiful approach for scaling up individual um, API endpoints without right. really caring about the service itself. Right. You don't have to scale the whole service, just the ones that need it, just the APIs Correct. that yeah. need it. Yeah. yeah just yeah. the services that are in demand. How's Functions doing these days? Oh, they're doing awesome. Awesome. Constant communication with the uh, the team, the, the product group, because they, they are working really hard to uh, catch up with where everybody else is, but the idea is that we don't want to catch up or want to uh, overtake. And um, they just released the tooling for Visual Studio to allow you to develop and deploy and run locally Azure Functions without requiring any connection to Azure, which is a massive benefit in terms of uh, the DevOps story and how you develop things. Because up until this point, it was everything on the portal. And um, I can see a lot more things coming in. We now have a CLI for Functions, Right. allows you to develop outside Windows. You can do your uh, development on a Mac or a Linux. Again, with Visual Studio Codes, easy peasy. And I feel like we're up against that area, one of these areas where it's like, so what technology am I choosing here? When you start talking service fabric, logic apps, and functions, do I use these all together? Are they, are they actually competitors to each other? Like, How does this go together? Again, it, it all depends. Uh, service fabric has some fantastic features there. The, the self-healing, the uh, secure, the quality gates that they have, um, the way that it manages your application and, uh, and disperse them depending on what the load is. It's a very intelligent setup. The, the fact that you can roll multiple applications, multiple versions of your application within the same service fabric can also be beneficial. But you can also do that with web apps, with uh, slots. And then you might also want to do that with uh, functions. So there's not one right way. I think we do come across that problem as developers, that uh, there's not one true API, there's not one true library that can help us with the problem. You need to find what best fits your needs and then go with it. So in the case of those three things, Logic App, Function, Service Fabric, there are three different ways to get to the same goal. More or less, yes. I, I see functions as a, as a this logical unit of work where it, it does do one thing. It grabs data from one place and puts them to another, right. or it will do some uh, data manipulation and send it back, but it's a very single unit of work. Yep. Um, it's service. service Fabric, on the other hand, can have a full .NET Core or a full, yeah, in fact, yeah. .NET Core application running on that, so a full site, a full he headless or a, you know, a proper web site with a presentation layer there that you can run, and it will have self-healing capabilities, will have all these uh, amazing features. And then Logic Apps are um, a slimmed-down version of BizDog. I don't know how many right. of you had exposure on BizDog. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, we've been exposed. I've still got the rash. For years. <laughs> <laughs> or if this and that. So, so people can relate to that. It's very similar to that, but allows you to interact with your um, data and your services within Azure. So we have really good interoperability between, um, say, your storage account and maybe a data table or something like that. Right. So uh, easy easy pieces that you can drag and drop and you add some logic, but very thin logic. You can't really do complex stuff. And one recent problem we had is a customer that wants to grab some uh, tar GZ files from a repository on a, an SFTP site. Yep. And unfortunately, um, logic apps cannot deal with that. They can deal with zip files, but they cannot unzip tar GZ files. So they had to uh, go into factions. Mm. There was a workaround. Mm. That's the whole point. So they wrote a function to do to deal with the tar GZ, and then it pushed it back yep. to the logic app. 
Uh, yeah, we use a storage account because we do have a lot of uh, triggers that uh, happen and lots of processes around. But sure. in the past, you would think that as a monolithic application that would do everything. Now we do all that with uh, small components that can scale up and scale down depending on demand. So if suddenly somebody drops 10,000 files because they, they deal with financial data, then they can, you know, they can scale up automatically just the, the, the part of the process that uh, consumes and um, unzips those files. But then again, the backend process there, so the process does not need to change. Nice. Well, and I, I kind of like that decomposition as well, right? You've got a watcher over over a share. The the targzs show up. The functions kicked off that starts unpacking them and dropping the unpack ones somewhere else. And then you have that logic app that goes, "Oh, here's some files, and let's go execute on them." Yeah. As long as you've got monitoring around this, I mean, this is where you get into that whole so, sort of reliable self-healing thing about service fabric, where you, you're making sure all those pieces are actually running and can be recovered or restarted automatically. So you, you're not chasing down this chain of functionality to try to figure out which piece didn't work today. So everything on Azure has um, um, relies on storage and everything on Azure also has a lot of logging. So mm-hmm. we have different layers of logging capabilities. So we have Azure logging, which monitors the whole thing, who spins up VMs, who deletes VMs, who changes stuff. We have a DSC for desired state configuration for our VMs as well, which will also emit um, data. Then you have logic apps and functions. In fact, you can integrate app insights within your functions so you can get a lot more uh, information, plus custom events and custom metrics, uh, which will eventually feed up to the, to the chain uh, which um, eventually becomes your OMS. And every single component you can suddenly start seeing mm. as in one integrated platform where it's OMS. But you don't have to. I mean, you can stick with App Insights. And if you don't have any IaaS, OMS doesn't really make any sense, isn't it? So right. you can stick with App Insights and use that as your central uh, dashboard for everything else. Again, it all depends on the pieces you have. And I, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm going to find many customers with no IaaS at all. Because it's sort of the safety, right? And I have a few VMs that are holding the things that don't, that are still sort of square pegs for these round holes. Most most companies that we deal with have been in operation for a few years and they're bound to have some legacy apps that you can't really easily move to pause. Uh, We do have a customer now that have an ASP, a classic ASP or a set of classic ASP applications that they're looking to move into core. So they're jumping 18 years worth of uh, history just to go to the latest and greatest. And that's a, mm. a, a very beautiful exercise to to go to that customer, help them do that because that, that gives them at least 10, 15 years of uh, uh, future-proofing to their application. I mean, you would hope. Core is pretty young. I don't know how many twitches Core is going to go through as it grows up too, right? But uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I think I made a bold statement there for 10, 15 years. Please do not take it from me. I do not work with <laughs> well, one you, of the group. You but just my, saw, my you, you're working with a company that's literally still productive on 20-year-old tech, right? Correct. We're yes. talking yeah. ASP. But they're very interested. And that, that's, that's the whole point. We have a lot of customers right now that are interested in .NET Core for a very good reason. The, the fact that they can maybe move away from Windows and run everything on Linux because some, some companies have a complex data center that... Uh, has some Linux servers and some Windows servers, and some of them are still keeping Windows only because they need to run their .NET uh, uh, applications. And now the ability to take that and lift it and move it into a Linux environment or a container, it makes things a lot more appealing to them. Absolutely. And the speed as well. You have a speed agility. I mean, .NET Core has some amazing features there. 
Yeah. 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 We've, we've done a few shows around it. We've built a, one of the humanitarian toolbox products with it. Like I got nothing bad to say about core. I can imagine your customers really like the performance improvements, huh? Yeah, we focus on that. Uh, obviously, there are the, the challenges out there as with everything else. And uh, uh, we try to be as realistic as possible when it comes to delivering these things. And uh, it's a challenge for us as well, since uh, things, especially early on, were changing quite frequently. Uh, these days, uh, we have settled down quite a bit. And with the imminent release of Visual Studio 2017, which is another impressive uh, tool, and mo the move to the CS Proj-based file, finally solidifying what .NET Core should be and look like, then um, it's easy to go to customers and speak about the benefits of adopting that framework. Yeah. But not everyone has to do it. It's one of the questions about why do I really care about .NET Core and should I do it? And in some cases, we say you should not move because um, you have to write everything. If you're yeah. doing new projects, yes, but if you have a solid um, implementation and uh, large solutions that work well right now, there's no need to move. Awesome. So what's next for you, man? What's in your inbox? For me, I have a massive inbox, just as you mentioned that. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the future is, uh, I think, with Microsoft, the sky's the limit. Uh, I'm very new to the team, and I'm still learning at uh, uh, crazy rates. So uh, every day is something new for me, and that really keeps things very interesting. Uh, I don't know how long uh, I'll keep on in this rate because, as I said, it's very fast. But yeah. the team is growing, and... Uh, in fact, we're hiring. If everybody, if anybody's interested, then feel free to reach out to Microsoft or me directly, and uh, I'll be happy to put you in contact. But uh, the whole point is that um, it's a very exciting role, and I would highly recommend uh, if if you are keen in working in such an environment, then Microsoft is the best place to be. It sounds like a really fun job for a problem solver like our listeners tend to be. I hope. So. All right. Well, Christos, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been great. And thank you for having me. You bet. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes,